Hey friends, you know what I don't miss at all? That vicious week before the period. Feeling like I'm ready to crawl out of my skin, irritated by everything and everyone around me. Bouncing between cravings for salty foods and sweets and back again. Now it's easier to manage PMS with Estro Control from Happy Mammoth. Estro Control contains science-backed herbal extracts called adaptogens. Now here's the beauty about adaptogens. They help the body adapt to any stressors, like the chaotic hormonal changes that happen naturally throughout a menstruating person's life. And the biggest benefit? Feeling like myself again. That's what people mention over and over in their reviews. And there are over 17,000 reviews for Happy Mammoth products, including Estro Control. For a limited time, you can get 15% off your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the code CORP, C-O-R-P, at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code C-O-R-P for 15% off today. What's up, y'all? It's Zach with Living Corporate. And if you didn't know, because every week there's a new listener, right? Every day there's someone discovering Living Corporate. So I'm going to just let everybody know. And then for those who've been rocking with us for a while, I'm going to remind y'all to Living Corporate is a digital media network and we exist to center and amplify black and brown people at work. That's what we do. Okay. We are the voice of the people. We're not really here to promote corporations or protect them or be some type of like, I don't know, corporate reputational launder, laundering service. Like that's not what we do, right? When we have brands on to talk about black and brown people at work, uh, when we have executives, activists, elected officials, public servants, influencers, artists, etc., we have any of these types of people on, we're going to be centering and amplifying black and brown experiences. And if that brand happens to do that work and really be authentic in that space, then we will speak to them. And you can best believe that when they come on this stage, on this platform, we're not pulling any punches. We're having real conversations. You know what I'm saying? Like that is what Living Corporate is all about. I'm so excited about where Living Corporate is. I'm excited about this episode. You're about to hear this conversation you're about to hear. Um, And, you know, I just want you to know that I love you. I appreciate you. Make sure that you follow Living Corporate everywhere we exist. You know what I'm saying? If you just type in, just Google Living Corporate. I ain't about to rattle off all the social media handles. You know what I mean? Like if you just go on Google or whatever search engine you use, because that's not an ad either. Um, <laughs> whatever you use, uh, Ask Jeeves, Bing, Yahoo, I don't know, what Microsoft Edge, whatever you're using, just type in Living Corporate and we're going to pop up, right? Now, look, what you're listening to is Real Talk Tuesdays. You're listening to um, one show that's part of a larger network right and so what you're gonna if you check us out you look at our website living-corporate-please-say-the-dash.com you'll see that we actually have a network of shows right Uh, all focused on centering and amplifying black and brown folks at work with different lenses right so shout out to the entire team as our shows continue to come you will hear about it but make sure you plug in so you can just stay in tune that way you don't have to try to catch up you can just be caught up as you catching on you know what i'm saying now um with that being said, I'm excited about this conversation you're about to hear. I want you to pay attention and make sure that you click the links in the show notes to learn more. I'll see you soon.
Living Corporate is brought to you by Rosetta Stone, the most trusted language learning program. It's incredible. Okay, so first off, you didn't know, Rosetta Stone is a trusted expert for over 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered. They have fast language acquisition, meaning you're actually going to pick up the language because it's gonna provide an immersive experience for you through their program. Speech recognition gives you a trainer for your accent. Convenient, right? You can use it on your computer. You can use it on your phone. Incredible value. Lifetime membership has all languages for any and all trips or language needs in life. That's lifetime access to 25 language courses Rosetta Stone's offers for 50% off. That's a steal, y'all. So don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a limited time, living corporate listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com backslash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com backslash today, today. Man, how you doing? Oh man, I am blessed and highly favored as they say. <laughs> I love it, man. I love it. Listen, um, you know, we had you on, shoot, this was some a little bit ago. You were rep- really representing Google at the time, talking about Google, talking about your journey, getting there, being there, experience. You know, I, I really want I want to unpack some of that again um, and-, and talk a little bit about just what was that like, that pivot into getting to Google? And frankly, it seemed like you were a bit, I'm not going to say a mascot, but they definitely had you in the marketing heavy. <laughs> Yeah, a little, a little tokenization, you know, a little tokenization. <laughs> Talk to yeah. me about what that was like, right? Because it was almost kind of mm-hmm. like, look at the hood dude that we picked up and that works right. at Google now. Like, walk me through, like, what did, what was that? What, first of all, how did, like, yeah. just give me from, like, where it, where it started to then, like, the, okay, hey, I'm here now. And, like, just the process of kind of, like, managing any of those feelings. Right. Yeah. The the whole thing is full of complexity. I'll say that. Um, Yeah, it was the best of times. And, you know, I won't say it was the worst of times, but it was challenging for sure. Uh, You know, I always wanted to work for Google Um, ever since I'd learned about the company. You know, my first impression of Google was that it was a Yahoo clone, um, you know, with the funny name. And uh, but as I started to use Google products and, and services and technology, I became very impressed by um, by the company and their ambitions and, and all those things. But I never believed that I could actually get a job at Google, that I could ever be employed at this kind of company that that was considered, you know, the, the cream, of the crop, the best of the best, the place where, uh, you know, uh, once you get there, you can't do any better. And so, you know, I threw away my application to college. I'll talk a lot about that. Um, I was handed a, a application to apply for an internship at a local office that was opening up and threw that away because I just knew that I, that not only did Google not want to hire me as a black man from the hood of Compton who'd been a physical and sexual abuse survivor, but, uh, you know, I didn't believe that uh, I would be successful and empowered, uh, that I might have to confront um, some real bad realities. And I'm not all the way sure what informed those impressions. Maybe it's black history. Maybe it's, you know, the community that I grew up in um, and, and things that I learned about the black tax and racism and discrimination, all those other kinds of things. But I didn't trust I was going to get the fair shake. So when I had the opportunity to interview uh, again, uh, five years after I graduated from college, I, uh, I was very encouraged by the fact that Google reached out to me 
specifically, but then I failed the interview and it confirmed this bias that I already had against the company and against my uh, opportunity to get uh, a fair chance. So I assumed that I needed to know the secret handshake or that, that, um, that, that I needed to be part of a special club that, you know, being a black in, in, in America is not enough to get me into that club. And so I didn't have the network of people to talk to. Um, I didn't, I never met anybody who worked at a big tech company like Google or Microsoft or, or Amazon or MySpace or any of that stuff. And so, um, you know, I just knew that at some point discrimination was going to bite me in the butt and I was going to be, um, dismissed and I didn't want to, I didn't want to confront that that might be a reality. And so I didn't think I could get into Google for those reasons. Um, and you know, also because of my own self doubt and my own skills and abilities, but you know, then I went and actually failed the interview process. Right. Um, you know, if I'd have known that I, I would get in two years later, I would have interpreted that failure differently. Um, if I'd have known that Google would keep calling me back three times over the next two years, I would have interpreted that failure differently. But, you know, looking back from that point, I, I knew that Google wouldn't actually want, they might say that they wanted to hire me, but they weren't actually going to do it. And I wasn't ready and didn't have the skills and all that stuff. And that was true at the time, but it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, completely true. Um, there was some information missing there. And so, um, two years later when I got the chance to try again, this time I was successful and, you know, I still remember hearing the words, welcome to Google. Um, I, I still remember, you know, hearing we'd like to extend an offer for employment to you and how I didn't understand what that actually meant. Like I, it, yes, it meant that I, that, uh, I, I got a new job, uh, and that I was going to now be achieving something of a life dream, but there was more complexity around it, right? Like when I called my, my wife, you know, she had tears coming down her eyes. Um, when I called my mother-in-law, she was crying tears of joy. No one ever shed tears <laughs> over me getting a new job. Why was this different? You know, I was uh, telling friends and coworkers, and as the news started to get out, you know, people were genuinely excited. And as I shared the whole story, it touched people in an emotional way. And I didn't understand why that was happening. So when I finally got to Google, um, I began to get this sense that I had done something important. Um, it, yeah, it was personally important to me, but it's important for the people around me. Now, when I got to Google, there was a lot of privilege that I had to get used to. And, you know, studies have been done uh, that that talk about how people from underrepresented, underprivileged backgrounds, when they get into a position of privilege, there's a sort of PTSD that takes hold, a, a post-traumatic stress disorder. It's not the same thing as PTSD, but it's very similar in that, you know, getting to Google is a very uh, eye-opening, earth-shattering experience. And uh, I didn't understand what was happening to me. Uh, people were saying good things and I didn't believe them. Um, I was enjoying, um, you know, food and perks, but with a side of guilt, uh, and there was a survivor's guilt from me thinking constantly about the people who I left in the hood who didn't have the opportunities that I did. Some of whom were shot and killed 
when uh, when I was 19 years old. You know, these are these are things that I always carry with me. And now I'm in an office environment and surrounded by people who who haven't lived that, who haven't experienced that. And I'm expected just to sit here and enjoy this free, you know, steak, free sandwich, you know, to go to all these parties and stuff and just forget about all that now. I just couldn't reconcile that in my mind. And I didn't understand why I was thinking those thoughts and why I was struggling with all of that until Google released their diversity numbers in 2014. And I saw myself in this stat line of all employees at Google, only 1% were black and in a technical role. And then all of a sudden I began to understand that my being a black man in tech, that's what made the difference. Um, not seeing the representation. Those were the things that I was, I was, I began to see this as like, yeah, these cultural differences and distinctions that I bring, um, are jarring and obvious and in an, an environment and a culture that was not made for people who look like me or who come from where I come from. And I think because of that, I realized that a, um, this is a, this is, there's an opportunity here to, um, refine and reshape tech culture to be more accommodating of underrepresented people. And then the second thing that I woke up to is the idea that Google actually cares about this, that there's some kind of reason or motivation that matters to them. And, you know, I am skeptical of companies. Um, you know, this is a capitalist society. We want to make money. And I, I think in my mind, you know, the fact that Google is making this, um, risk really in publishing the numbers and in making that public, meant that there was a money opportunity somewhere that they saw. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we've, we've talked about how uh, research has been done that shows that companies who are more diverse um, and, and who champion that tend to make more money. And so I began to see that this was an, uh, something that was important to Google as a company and, and somehow impactful to the bottom line this might be an opportunity for me to use my story and my journey in a way that would uh, help me to differentiate myself from other people around me. And that launched this journey for me of becoming an advocate of being a voice in the industry, talking about uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion and why that matters and, and how we accomplish it. People would come and ask me, how do we get more Anthony's? How do we get more Anthony's? And uh, I started out, I don't know. I don't know how you get more Anthony's. There wasn't any one thing. It was a series of all these things. And as I began to think through and articulate all of those those steps and pieces, uh, I, I started to make sense of the story and the narrative and started to build that and be more intentional about figuring that all out. And I think that that has, it has definitely worked well for me. This isn't a one-sided thing. I talked about tokenization earlier. Um, you know, some of us kind of frown at the idea of being the token black person, being the token woman, this and that and the other. I personally don't have a problem with it so long as I'm compensated properly, <laughs> right? Pay me to be your token in so long as we're not breaking any, um, any, uh, uh, introducing, you know, new moral quandaries or doing something unethical. I'm all good. I'm not going to lie for you. Uh, that I won't do, but. Uh, you know, I, I have no problem talking about how, you know, my experience has been and how I've benefited positively from that and the different challenges that are associated with that as well. And, um, you know, let, letting people make up their own minds. This podcast, Living Corporate, it's brought to you by Squarespace. 
Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. Whether you're just starting out or managing a growing brand, Squarespace makes it easy to create a beautiful website, engage with the audience, and sell anything from products to content to time, all in one place on your terms. Let me tell you something. Y'all might not know this, but Living Corp, we started our whole journey on Squarespace. My website, ZacharyNunn.com, it's on Squarespace. I can't tell you how much I appreciate its fluid engine, the ability to create world-class templates and design. It's very intuitive, incredible. We have custom merch through our Squarespace. We have an incredible asset library, so I can always mix it up, switch and swap. It's super dope. And the fact that you can host all types of content, video, audio, all types of media, you can put all on your Squarespace. I can't recommend it enough. If you want to learn more about Squarespace, Check out squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com backslash corporate to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Again, that's squarespace.com backslash corporate to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. You know, it's interesting because I, I remember, I feel like, I don't know, maybe like let's say a decade ago, right? Um, Google was like the, the place to work, right? Like I was like, man, I got to work. At, like Google in my mind was up there with like the Nikes and the Apples and it was like, yeah, it's like the place to work. <laughs> yeah. I mean, their brand, like, like their brand, it's it shifted and changed quite a bit. Like I've, you know, my impression was that it was a place again, like progressive, inclusive, hyper, in, um, hyper innovation, and I'm not saying that Google is not innovative today, but I'm, in terms of, I mean, like, remember that movie that came out? Um, it was about the guys working at Google. Uh, the, the internship. The internship. Um, so that, <laughs> yeah. that was my view of Google, though, right? It was like it was basically like a big college campus where you kind of just happen to do a little bit of work right. here and there. Um, talk to me mm. a little bit about like your perspective on the ways Google changed, right? Like even even in terms of like its diversity, equity, inclusion, and how. You know, there was that huge internal mem- email that went out from that white dude who was really offended <laughs> and threatened and insecure. But like, right. like, did you yeah. you were there, I believe, in a season where mm-hmm. things were shifting and changing? Like, can you talk a little about like how you saw yeah. things maybe shift and move around? Yeah, so I, I think there are a few things um, during my time at Google that happened. And, and th- these aren't necessarily good or bad Thanks. things. They're just. Yeah, I think part of the natural progression of how a company uh, moves and grows and changes. I mean, any you know, companies go through phases and they go through stages and they, you know, dare I say, evolve over time. And that is necessary uh, to continue to innovate, to continue to stay strong, et cetera, et cetera. I still think that Google is uh, an incredibly innovative company. Uh, I think that they're still doing things that are on the cutting edge um, and behind the curve in a lot of respects. Um, two two things for me that uh, that really happened. Number one is as Google grew and grew and grew, they needed to change how they did uh, business um, in part for um, shareholder accountability and uh, for, for for those things. So you know there there are things in the way of like growth and market forces that just causes a, a company to think about things a little bit differently. Whereas in the early days, um, you could be more scrappy, ragtag, um, kind of do what you want to do so long as you're 
your um, printing cash, as it were. You know, as you get bigger and bigger, now you've got a there, there's a again a lot more complexity in terms of what the company can do, what it can't do, and as you add more and more people, you know, uh, that growth adds additional pressure on the culture of the company. You know, by the way, this is one of the important things that people don't think about when it comes to growing diversity and inclusiveness in an organization is it will it will test the malleability of that culture and it will change over time. You know, um, Larry and Sergey said when they uh, founded the company, I think it's in the founder's letter or something of that nature, you know, uh, Google's not a conventional company, you know, and we don't intend to become one. And, you know, the reality is that <laughs> despite those intentions, you kind of got to become a conventional company at some point. It, it's, it's just going to have, it's, it's an inevitability, I think, in many respects. And so, um, you know, as, as you've seen Google, the business make changes, you know, in, in, ter- in terms of like now we have Alphabet or now they have Alphabet. Right. And, you know, these subsidiaries and all these other kinds of things and, and a different kind of financial discipline that is just, um, uh, you know, resulted in a company that feels a little more traditional. Uh, and, th- and that's not necessarily bad. I think that there is a good discipline to that. But the second thing, too, is. As, as Google has made all of these strides, and I, I think sometimes Google gets criticized for not moving fast enough, but I think that criticism largely is unfair because um, this is a really hard problem. It's the moonshot that we're never going to actually accomplish as an industry in tech, right? Um, no one even knows what the perfect level of diversity and inclusiveness actually is. It's this thing that we keep aiming for. And it sometimes feels like the needle's moving all over the place. So, um, you know, Google's done a lot of work in this area and, and made a lot of changes and, and implemented programs. And I've had the pleasure of being part of many of them and experiencing the sadness of seeing some things go away. And, uh, you know, and, and it has caused the company to refine its culture more and more as a result. You know, you, you mentioned the Demore uh, memo, the what was famously referred to as the Google Manifesto. You know, one of the biggest things that I saw happen and change as a result of the manifesto is before that manifesto came out, people would say, "Bring, we want you to bring your whole self to work. Bring your whole self to work. Everybody was saying, bring your whole self to work. After that manifesto, I didn't hear that anymore. What I heard people say was, bring your best <laughs> self to work. <laughs> and it, it came from a realization like, no, there, there's some there's some parts of you that you might need to leave home. <laughs> you don't, we don't want you to bring that to work. And, and that is, that kind of refining is important. Now, when I joined Google um, as a black man, I already knew I couldn't bring my whole self to work. Like that was never on the table for me because I've never had the pleasure um of assuming that I could just be my whole self without there being uh, consequences. So, uh, yeah, I knew that coming in. You know, we had, you know, I think Google culture was uh, defined by very simple rules in the beginning because you had a homogeny of people who came from largely the same places and, and shared many of the same cultural backgrounds, et cetera, et cetera. Well, when you start to bring more people in, uh, they don't read those rules the same way. You can't use that shorthand anymore. And it now you begin to struggle. And so you have to add more clarity, more rigidity, uh, more detail. So, you know, uh, 
after the manifesto, Google came up with the three respects, you know, respect the user, respect the opportunity, respect one another. And I thought that uh, went a long way towards helping to define like, what is the culture? Um, you know, typically, I think before then, it's been defined by things like, you know, just be yeah. googly, yeah. don't be evil. Um, you know, uh, what was the the other one? Um, yeah, I think yeah. it was just those two. Just be googly and don't be evil really is what it is. And maybe like do cool yeah. things that matter. Um, you know, but as you add more people into a company, into an organization, you've really got to define, like, okay, well, what does that actually mean? Because what I think is cool might not be what you think is cool. Right. Right. Um, you know, what what you call evil isn't necessarily what I would call evil and, and vice versa. And so there's there's all of that that just has to be defined and refined. And I think that it's been good to see more of that, but also just exposes how difficult it really is uh, to to um, think about and solve these issues. You know, it's interesting because like we're looking, we're also like in this space where like, like black folks specifically, um, as I've noticed, like mm. we love the prospect of trying to get into this tech space. Like there's, everyone and your mom trying to sell you um <laughs> you know some type of package or learning course on how to get into tech right. talk to me about why you believe that is like right. why is it that tech is like such a hailed space um and like why is it that like that's such a i mean honestly people have built entire brands on just selling you on how to get into tech right like oh i'm ex google if you yeah. take this six week course two thousand dollars i'll show you how to get into tech why do you think that is money yeah I mean, that's, that's what it comes down to at the end of the day. I mean, tech is, tech has been the greatest opportunity generator of a lifetime, mm -hmm. right? Um, people have gone from poverty to wealth, um, over, you know, through this pathway in the tech. And, uh, you know, I've seen that for myself and, and the, the, the bar for entry is a lot lower than say being a doctor or an attorney. Um, you know, it, I, I always talk about the fact that if I want to be a doctor at some point, you know, depending upon the kind of doctor I want to be, if I want to be a surgeon, I'm going to have to deal with cadavers at some point and, and get a fellowship or, you know, some kind of a program and do a ton of school. Um, I, I'm not just going to be able to, from day one, start operating on a body. Right. That's just not going to work. Um, but in tech, you know, if I have a computer, I can build a cloud application get started today, you know, following a tutorial and going through all the steps and, and start connecting all these dots immediately. Um, you know, plus there's tons of resources and information and free classes and, and free boot camps that I can, can also use. And so there's this perception that it's easy to get into tech and that, you know, if you play your cards right, it's not terribly difficult to get into the six figure uh, salary range or get equity at a company. Um, and then perhaps that, that, that company becomes a unicorn and, and gets a billion dollar valuation goes public. And now you are, you know, uh, wealthy overnight. So those kinds of dreams are, are still coming true, <laughs> you know, and I think that that has, um, that has made people realize that, that there are plenty of opportunities for them, you know, and, you know, within tech, you can't find enough people, to be engineers, project managers, product managers, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so I, I think that tech companies have gotten a lot more aggressive about getting in front of people, um, especially underrepresented communities, to uh, educate 
folks on the kinds of opportunities that exist. You know, and it's 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 that's one of the reasons why I'm a career coach now. That that that's why I try to get in front of those same folks and share my own story uh, because you know it's a lot easier for me. Not everybody can be a Kobe Bryant. You know, a lot of people um, that I grew up with wanted to to, to be uh, athletes. You know, famous athletes, well-paid athletes like the ones that you see on TV. Vast, vast majority of folks who are going to try to do that aren't going to actually succeed at that level. Um, many people want to be uh, rappers and, and music artists and this and that and the other. And I don't knock that uh, profession if that's what you choose, but it can be hard to achieve the kind of wealth and financial security that you want to achieve doing Work. those things um, unless you are closer to the elite end of the spectrum. I'm not tech or I don't consider myself elite in tech. Uh, maybe other people do, but I don't. Um, I think I'm pretty average, actually. Um, and I work pretty hard um, to keep up. You know, maybe that's the thing that distinguishes me. But I've been able to experience quite a bit of success even before I got to Google. Like, I didn't need to get to Google to feel fulfilled and accomplished in my career. I'd already been fulfilled and and, uh, and accomplished in my career before I got to Google. Um, getting to Google was really the icing on the cake that unlocked a whole new world of, of opportunity that that I didn't necessarily need, but I was super grateful for uh, because it's opened up uh, other doors that has, and that has kind of unlocked bigger and, and even better levels. So that's, that's the tech industry to me. And I think that while, you know, those efforts have been largely good, there are also these challenges around how um, the predators are rising, right? Let's talk about that. Like, what, like, how, what would you? Because there are a lot of folks out there talking about, like, look, uh, you know, buy my course or join my chat, or right. you know, it's, it's not always you right. them trying to necessarily, you know, get you to buy something off top. Maybe even them just, you know, pay follow me over here and join my whatever. Right. My little my little Slack right. channel or whatever the case is or my Discord. Mm-hmm. Like how how right. does one identify the predators in this space? That's a great question, um, and it, it it can be very difficult <laughs> uh, to to do at times. You know, since the very beginning of time, <laughs> uh, people have have figured out ways that they can take advantage of others and their ignorance. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and and it, th- that's no different than what we see in in tech today, where as you pointed out earlier, someone will say, "Buy my course or my product and give me this much money, and I will all but guarantee you a job at you know this fang company making you know this much in in salary." And uh, and people just eat that up because they don't know any better. They don't know that uh, there's a lot of work and a lot of hard um, things that you have to overcome. Uh, in order to to really be su- right. successful at this, you know, there's a lot of pieces that have to connect in, in order for that to work. Not to say that it's inaccessible; it just means that it's it's more work than probably what you've been told. And so, uh, yeah, I, I, there's you know these these companies are charging you know anywhere between three hundred dollars to three thousand right. dollars. For a month or two months of, of content or even worse than that, um, you know, there's well, I, sorry, I, I call it worse because it's not something that I would do. Um, there there are a contingent of people for whom this solution would be great. But, you know, income sharing agreements, 
What that mean? Hold on, words, hold on, what that you mean? Know, you come, yeah, so that's, you'll, you'll do a boot camp, take this uh, course, and uh, you don't pay up front. But when you land a, a job, we will take a certain percentage of your first year salary or second year of salary. And that will be our fee. And that's, a, you know, that's, you know, if, if you land a $90,000 job, you know, a, a job with a $90,000 salary, they're taking like 5%, 15% of that. That's, that's a yeah. lot of money. Um, you're, you're, you, you might end up paying, you know, half of a college education, maybe a full college education, but just getting a subset of the content that you would, wow. um, would get uh, with a four-year degree. And so I, I'm not a big fan of that approach. Uh, I'm not saying that it can't work. I'm not saying that everybody that does it is, is bad, but, uh, I, I, I never did that. You know, I, I, I did get a college, a four-year degree. Right. Right. Uh, but with that four year degree came a very well-rounded education from a very reputable uh, institution in the University of California, yeah. Irvine. Um, you know, it, it was great. I enjoyed it. It was, you know, and I, I learned more than just about tech. I learned about writing and science and all these things that continue to follow me uh, to this day as a professional. You know, so that was that was great. And I don't I don't have any regrets uh, about that. And I know that college is more expensive now than it used to be. Um, so I want to be sensitive to that. But. You know, after my college degree, I spent $250 on interview prep materials to succeed at Google, uh, uh, to succeed yeah. at a Google interview. You know, that's, that's it. That was a whiteboard and a couple of books and maybe some mock interviews. Um, yeah, that, that's, that's what I paid. And so it, for me, it's unconscionable to spend $2,000 or $3,000 uh, on, on that stuff. And, and again, you know, if, if, if you have a program that works really well and, and has, you know, figured out the formula and it's working and, and working for you, great, but you got to do your research. You have to do your homework. Who's, who's teaching, who started the course, what are the, what's their motivation? Can you see any of their other content, et cetera, et cetera? Can you talk to people who've gone through the program that have landed jobs? Oftentimes you can go to LinkedIn and search for people by, you know, the name of a boot camp, see what roles they have. Um, if you don't see them working at the companies that the bootcamp claims they've gotten people hired for, it's either because they're not on LinkedIn or they're on LinkedIn and they're not actually landing those jobs or, or not being mm -hmm. successful. So, you know, these are the things where I feel like, um, uh, you know, you, you just have to be very careful and discerning and you, you've got to build your network so that you can um, you can engage in discourse with people who've gone down that road and can provide you information and caveats and honesty that you might not get uh, through the marketing materials. You know, it's interesting because as I think about, again, I'm thinking about like folks who are trying to get into tech, trying to get into this space. Are there any magical certifications <laughs> that you can get to get you a job, right? Because I think there's there's a misconception out there. It's like, yo, if you just get this certification, you get that certification, you know, you, you will you will guarantee you get a job in tech. Like, what's your response to that? So there are, they're not on paper though. <laughs> uh, you might know a professor in a class who has connections at top fan companies who will recommend you. And based on their recommendation, you skip through the whole interview process. <laughs> like you have like one interview and then you're done. So, uh, 
you know, that that kind of thing exists. But again, it's not documented anywhere. You just have to know the right people. So, and you know, it's, it's not like this is unique to tech. This is true of like any industry. Um, if you know the right people, they can unlock opportunities um, that you didn't even know um, could exist. Uh, so, and, and that's something I'm learning more and more as I, I sit, sit in this, uh, uh, you know, in, in the position that I'm in as an entrepreneur. So, um, but yeah, other outside of that, no. Uh, the, the, I can't tell you go get this certificate and then you're guaranteed to get a, get a job. Um, and as people are discovering, even getting a four year computer science degree or a computer engineering degree or you know a human computer interaction degree, whatever technical degree you want, that doesn't guarantee that you're going to get a role in tech or that you're going to get any kind of job because it's not so much about what you know, it's about what you do with what you know. And this is one of the things that I just harp on. Uh, harp on about with college students and because a lot of times when I look at their resume they've got all the courses listed and you know they're they're graduating you know in 2023 and they've got a great GPA but they have no work experience they don't even have projects that they've put together they don't have a portfolio or anything that anything in the way of a tangible asset that shows that they are putting in the work to apply their knowledge and in tech the way that you apply your knowledge matters a lot. It is the way that you signal that you are the right person for the job because tech is about getting things done, um, not necessarily about showing off what you know. And pedigree bias is a thing, of course. Um, you know, there, there's I have a lot less to prove having Google on my resume. Right. Um, that's just it is what it is. Um, and th- that is justified to a degree. Um, but but. You know, even now, post Google, I'm I'm working to make sure that I continue to establish my credibility, to keep my skills sharp, to uh, do the things that I've always done throughout my career in the way of working hard and um, really doing the work. And I think that uh, I want people to continue to judge me um, by the work that I've done. You know, I want to talk about the moment if there was a specific moment that led you to say, you know what, my journey at Google has come to an end and I'm ready to take the next phase. Mm. Was there a moment for you? Did you go into this even as excited and thankful you were for the opportunity, knowing that, Hey, this is a stepping stone because I have bigger visions, aspirations. Like talk to me about that. Yeah, no, it was, it was certainly more the latter. It was a combination of things that when put together signaled that it might be time for an exit for me, but, you know, even before getting into Google, I realized that uh, I probably wasn't going to retire there for two reasons. Number one, because I had my um, I've kind of always had my eyes on becoming a, a minister or perhaps a pastor one day and thought that perhaps the, the ministry would call me out of whatever I was doing at that time and into um, ministry service at a, a you know, in, in a Christian church somewhere. So I, I thought that number one. But number two, part of the whole reason why I wanted to work at Google was to have what's to make my resume bulletproof. I had perceived that I had been victimized by uh, bias or discrimination in some kind of way, even though I could never conclusively prove it. Um, it in, in that I would go on these job interviews where I thought things were just going great. And, you know, I had the requisite experience and all these other kinds of things. And, I just wouldn't get a call back um, or I would get denied and very little explanation would be given. And I, I felt like bias is at play, but 
you know, it's not like I could have a conversation with someone to say, hey, you know, so were you being racist when you said no? Or is there some other reasonable explanation? Companies typically don't tell you anything. And so I figured that if I could get Google on my resume, uh, it would be really, really hard for someone to say no and not give me the fair shot um, under, under that circumstance because of that brand recognition that you mentioned earlier. So uh, that that was part of it. And, you know, to be honest with you, I, I, there wasn't anything that uh, made me feel like I had to leave Google. I could have very well worked there for the rest of my life and retired and, and been very fulfilled and, you know, please my Lord and Savior in, in, in the work that I was doing. I think for me, what happened is that um, I, I went into Google as a software engineer and became this diversity, equity, inclusion advocate, this, this influencer within the tech community. And, uh, and I, I started finding myself doing things that, that no one else was doing, um, or that very few were doing. And I, I almost got the sense like, wow, I, I need more room to grow. <laughs> and I, you know, and this isn't something that's unusual. Uh, there are a lot of people who go to fame companies that, you know, at a certain point, you start to question, like, can I be great without being here? Um, can I go and make my own Google one day or my own meta or my own Twitter? You know, you start to think about that. And uh, and I think it just naturally because these companies tend to hire ambitious people who tend to think big and are problem solvers. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense that you'll you'll want to take that equity <laughs> And go uh, go off on your own and and try to figure out a, a you know how to be an entrepreneur and do something that's your own thing, and you know if it takes off great if it doesn't come back, <laughs> you know uh, there's a lot of people who who leave uh, who go from one fake company to the next to the next and then they come back to the one that they really want to retire at, um, so that that's just a thing that happens in tech, um, you know for me the the specific space that I focused on was helping underrepresented folk understand what they needed to do to succeed at technical interviews at big tech companies. Cause that was a really important experience for me, you know, failing the interview back in 2011 and then succeeding after studying for a month and a half in 2013, you know, my life changed in profound ways uh, after I got that job offer. And it was in part, because I succeeded through that rigorous interview process. And I learned a lot of things as I prepared for that process um, that, you know, even when I failed in 2011, still changed me as an engineer. I became better uh, after preparing for the interview and, and even failing. I became better as an engineer. And so I've, I've always felt very passionately about that particular part of it. And I feel like I'm very good at helping people with, with that part of the tech journey, um, in addition to thinking about their career holistically. And so... I, you know, it, back, uh, late last year, we had the, uh, the great resignation and a lot of people were leaving their jobs looking to come into, come into tech. Uh, and I began to see things like, um, the, the, the growing or, or the growth of social audio. And, and I began to connect more and more with people who are trying to transition into tech who could benefit from the wisdom advice and expertise that I give and I just felt like it was a good time for me to really commit to doing that in a full-time way and really giving it a shot. You know, as an entrepreneur, when you're running something as a side hustle, 
a lot of it is about testing the waters, you know, putting your putting your toes in and seeing how it feels and and you know, does this really make sense? But you're 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 always going to be limited so long as you have that full time job that you've got to tend to uh, because your attention and your loyalty is always going to be divided. And so, I really wanted to give uh, my business a fair shot, and that that meant diving into the waters and uh, really focusing my attention. And I, it's been a wonderful journey so far. I've enjoyed it. I've been much more successful than I think I deserve. But uh, you know, it, it's been. It's been great, and I, I, you know, I encourage anybody uh, working in tech to to really consider uh, entrepreneurship, and and build, because it helps build certain. Even if you keep it as a side hustle, you know, even if you're not interested in becoming a full time entrepreneur, it gives you insight in to the kind of disciplines and practices that helps you to be good in tech, or at least to be better, because so much of tech uh, is about having an entrepreneurial mindset about the uh, understanding what that minimum viable product is and iterating on that and improving and getting better and understanding your customers and your users. And so, uh, you know, it, it, it just served to really enrich and fulfill me in uh, ways that I didn't anticipate. You know, I think it's incredible that considering your background, that like your exit wasn't you know, it wasn't acrimonious, right? It wasn't any, there was nothing that was, you know, necessarily particularly negative. Talk to me about your pivot and your consulting firm today, the work it's doing, you know, your vision for it, all of that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and, and, and plus one, that, uh, that sentiment around just how grateful I am that uh, I felt like I left on the right terms. Um, and it, and it, you know, I, 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 I still can't tell you <laughs> that I won't end up back at uh, Google working there because I really enjoyed the experience and and would have continued uh, working there. Uh, and, you know, if, if everything goes to, to crap <laughs> in a couple of months, I, I know what door I'll be knocking on first. But, uh, you know, for, for me, when I left, there, there were a couple of things I really wanted to do. I wanted to expand my impact and reach when it came to underrepresented folks. So, uh, what that has looked like so far is um, former, before this year, I worked primarily with individuals, uh, but now I've been making my way into uh, larger companies as an advisor, as a coach, um, doing this kind of work on their behalf. And so, you know, I my first client post Google uh, was Carrot, uh, the world's largest interviewing company, and they do technical interviewing for a lot of organizations. But they started an initiative called Brilliant Black Minds um, that provided free mock technical interviews to specifically black software engineers in the U.S. And that was exciting to me. It's like, I love technical interviewing. This is the thing that I want to coach people on. You mean there's a way for me to work with Carrot and the Brilliant Black Minds program to expand the reach of that um, of, of the, that information that I've been putting out for years and make it freely available to them. Yeah. Sign me up. Like, this is great. <laughs> and so uh, I've really enjoyed working for that program. And there's a lot of, um, a lot of work to be done for sure. But I've been seeing people in the program, black engineers like me um, who in uh, for some share a very similar background with me succeeding in, in getting job offers and growing in their interviewing skills. And I just love being able to pour into them. Uh, and I want to do more of that. And I think that, um, 
you know, before I made this full time switch and pivot, I just wouldn't have had the time. Um, I wouldn't have had because uh, I've got to, you know, working full time, I've got to focus on my employer uh, for most of that. And the context switching can be difficult. But now I get to wake up in the morning and the whole day I'm thinking about how can I develop a new workshop? How can I interact with folks? How can I ask questions? How can I, you know, practice some of these things and get inside candidate's shoes? And how can I talk to interviewers about what they need to do? And, you know, for me, there's there's two things that that we need to that that needs to happen to really move the industry forward. One is we've got to teach underrepresented people how to play the game as it, as it exists today. And then two, we've got to change the game. Um, and I put things in that order because um, it's generally easier to teach people how to play the game first and then change the game after that. So that's that's where my mindset is. And I've been very grateful to um, uh, to have conversations with a number of, of uh, tech companies and non-tech companies uh, to help just provide that knowledge and expertise and to share my own journey and story. So, you know, a lot more public speaking nowadays, a lot a lot more consulting. And, uh, you know, the, the other thing that was very important about making this move is I really appreciated the things that I got to do for Google, but I felt like other companies also need to be doing some of these same things. And so much of my experience had been seen through the lens of Google. Um, but if we, if we want to make changes as an industry, there's things that meta has to do. There's things that, um, that Twitter has to do, you know, we've got to start, uh, encouraging more conversation, um, across the industry with tech companies and non-tech companies alike. And I felt like there might be an opportunity for me to be a change agent across uh, the industry and across different companies through the work that I do with Morgan Latimer Consulting. And that's been exciting. And it's I've been amazed to see uh, the growth that, that my company has been able to experience, but then also just the, the interest from so many people um, who've uh, reached out to me and, and let me know how needed uh, my work is. You know, Anthony, I I have to say um, that, you know, I, I continue to be inspired by by your work, by your voice uh, and, and by the spaces that you inhabit, man. Um, you know, as we think about like the future of DEI, because you talked about you really growing into being a DEI advocate at Google. Um, where do you see that space really going? And I ask that in the context of, you know, right now we're in the space where you know, black is no longer in vogue like it was two years ago, right? Like it's not the cool to support <laughs> black folks. We see, um, we're seeing the, the idea around CRT raising and white folks really, you know, lashing back. We're seeing, um, even in this moment, especially as we seeing like kind of the economy adjust and tilt and, and contract and whatever other words you want to use, we're seeing DEI be less of a focal point for organizations. Where do you see the future for black folks being, let's say, but just between now and like 2030, as we look at this, like enhancingly um, hostile political landscape, as we look at, again, like organizations merging and kind of like retracting back to like what makes really good sense for their bottom line, for their stakeholders, where do you see the DEI space going? And then where do you see black folks needing to pivot and focus in this, this, uh, this corporate context? Yeah, I, I love this question. And I think I'll start with explaining why I named my company Morgan Latimer Consulting, and that will help me to pivot into the answers uh, for these questions. So 
I named my company Morgan Latimer Consulting um, at, in honor of two of my favorite black inventors, Garrett A. Morgan and Louis H. Latimer. Uh, Garrett A. Morgan invented the precursor to uh, the modern traffic light gas mass apparatus that uh, firemen use to save lives. Um, and uh, I think uh, was a, a kind of hair grease. Uh, so he actually <laughs> developed and invented a, a product, a, a line of hair care products for, for black folks. Uh, Louis H. Latimer invented a better filament for Edison's light bulb and drafted all of his uh, diagrams and drawings for the patents that Edison would eventually get. So, you know, these men were innovators during a time of slavery, of Jim Crow, of the mass lynching of black people. That that was the context um, in which they contributed these massively important uh, innovations to society. You know, and there's others, of course, George Washington Carver is another one of my favorites, Frederick McKinley Jones, et cetera, et cetera. So these innovators, I'm following in their legacy, right? It, it, I'm not doing something fundamentally new. Um, yeah, the context is different because we've got tech, but really for me, I, I want to continue the legacy that my ancestors set before me of doing what they could to, to blaze new trails for, uh, the, for the folks who'd be coming after them. And so that that's what motivates me. And I think that in the way that uh, black folks have, have always done this in America, we will continue to do that. Uh, and it's very important that black folks specifically own this uh, this this part of the journey, you know, as we are uh, moving in tech and doing what we do. So um, so that's the first thing. The second thing is. I, I I actually disagree with the notion that that black isn't in, in vogue as it was two years ago. I, I think it very much is so, uh, and I I think, but it's been slow to see um, how that's all working. So uh, the blacks and blacks and technology organization uh, just did a study with uh, the plug, uh, and uh, they, it was recently uh, announced as it's called the State of the Pledge. So I encourage um, folks who are listening to this podcast to go check out the state of the, the, of the pledge. And so um, th there were billions of dollars um, in the in the wake of the George Floyd murder and some of the other um, things that happened with the the protests and uprisings. You know, there was this big response of tech companies pouring billions of dollars into initiatives and efforts specifically to make the lives of black folks in tech better. Uh, and that money's still being spent. <laughs> Programs are still being developed. Campuses are still being built. And I think even in the middle of, of the current financial climate, there's still a great interest among companies to hire and retain underrepresented folk, um, not just black folks, but, um, but other under, because as an industry, I think companies realize that they can't afford to slow down. Um, it's already been, a, a tough and slow process to 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 raise the numbers as it is, and I think to slow down would be would put the industry back um, significantly. So uh, I, I think that there is still uh, you know case in point brilliant black minds. <laughs> you know I'm working on a program specifically dedicated to reaching black folks with technical interview advice that in in preparation tools that you'd have to pay 
hundreds of dollars for anywhere else. So, um, you know, Serena Williams' uh, investment in Brilliant Black Minds as a program uh, and some of the other investments that have been made, just, again, it speaks to me that um, black is very much in vogue um, these days. And uh, I don't know whether that will grow, but at least for now, there is a sustained push and sustained interest. Um, Where is this going? I I think that uh, black folks in tech, especially as more and more of us experience the privilege and wealth that comes with being in this industry, we are starting to own more and more of our own direction and trying to build the platforms and tools and pathways that will ensure future success. Um, There are now VC firms that have been started by black employees of tech companies, you know, looking to pour some of that wealth uh, that, that has been earned through, you know, equity from, you know, these large tech companies into uh, the next wave of black innovators specifically and underrepresented innovators, you know, and I think that a lot of that investment is going to bear fruit in the decade to come uh, and maybe even sooner than that. So, uh, you know, so much of this is, is thinking about the long game, you know, and, and it's, and again, I, I want to emphasize that this isn't a new journey for us. Um, black folks have, have been on this journey for a long time. And I think that the way that you think about this journey and I always butchered this this part of it because there there were two or three um, you know intellectuals and notable black folks who had arguments about how black folks should engage with uh, society and specifically with American society. So you had you had Marcus Garvey, you had Booker T. Washington, and a third individual. I always this is the part where I always trip up, but you had. Um, these folks who were debating in academic circles and not academic circles, like how should black folks, Marcus Garvey is like, we should just all go to Africa. Like we should just get out of the U S and, and go to Africa. Um, Booker T was of the opinion that no, what we need to do is educate ourselves. We need to play the game. And then that will win us the respect that will help us to, um, t- to change things later on. I think I'm probably more of the Booker T influence to be honest with you. Um, and then we had a third individual who was saying, yeah, I mean, we'll kind of play the game, but we will demand respect right now. Um, you know, we will we will work hard and we will achieve um, equality by any means necessary. And to this day, that argument, that discussion, that debate is still playing out in our country and in, uh, in black America. And I won't say that any particular strategy is right or wrong, you know, um, it's it's simply to acknowledge that each of us will make a choice, you know, and to bring that to more reality, when you come into tech as a black person, I don't, I think the only thing you can't do is rest on your laurels. Um, I don't think you can just sit there and be mediocre or average. I think you either have to be exceptional in your work or you have to be steadfastly committed to helping bring other folks Uh, to the table and make room for them. Um, And I I think that's, I think it has to be at least one of those two things. And that that can be tough for some folks because um, when you look at um, other people who maybe are well represented, they can afford to just come to work, do their job, leave and go home and focus on their lives. 
but I've never felt like I could all the way do that in tech. I always felt like I had a responsibility to help other underrepresented folks while I was in the job, even if that meant sacrificing my own career progression or it meant really making sure that I stand out because I sensed that there was increased scrutiny on me as a, as one of the very few black people at the company in, in my office. So, you know, these are the kinds of choices that we still have to make. I look forward to a day when there's nothing especially notable about a black person being hired at a place like Google. Um, you know, it, it, when it happened for me, it was incredibly notable. I mean, I got a Buzzfeed video for crying out loud. You did. I'm like, was fired too. Right. I mean, you know, I, I, and at the end of the day, I'm just like, I just got a job. Like that's really what I did. I, I got a job. It just turns out that I was a black man in America who suffered a lot of things, who got a job at the a company that uh, most folks in tech would love to work for, would, would, would kill to work for. And, you know, there's that, that the, context of American racism and discrimination and just the legacy of all of that is what makes my journey so, uh, so notable. But I, I, again, I do look forward to a time when, you know, a uh, uh, black person, they, they do the things that, that anybody else does and they get the job like anybody else would based upon the merits of their work and accomplishments. And they don't feel like they have to have any additional pressure. It's just, it's just a job. Um, so one day that, that will come in um, perhaps during my lifetime. I love it. Um, Anthony, look, man, we could go for another hour or two. I'm, com- I'm convinced. <laughs> I want to respect your time, brother. Thank you so much for being on Living Corporate. I'm glad we're able to make the time. This is your second time on the show. We definitely can see you're a friend of the show. Um, let's make sure, we'll make sure to put all your information in the show notes. So make sure y'all, y'all listen to this. Pause. Click the links in the show notes. Learn more about Mr. Mays, all the work, incredible work that he's doing, organizations that he's leading. And uh, Anthony, look, man, you got to come back. You got to come back. And let's not make it be like two two years like last time. You come back next year. <laughs> That's right. Anytime. I mean, I tell you, I've, I've done some podcasts throughout my um, career, but, you know, coming and speaking with you, Zach, and, and being with Living Corporate, there's nothing like it. So I'm, I'm definitely subscribed and I definitely appreciate it. And, hey, if you are – a black engineer in the U.S. Uh, looking to level up your technical interviewing skills. Um, check the link in the video description or in the audio description because I want you to sign up for Brand Black Minds and come join me as we help you level up. You heard him. You heard him. And I'm all for it. Anthony, we'll talk to you soon, brother. God bless you, man. All right, God bless. Peace. Peace. And we're back. Yo, I want to thank our guests. I want to I want to say uh, much love to the entire living corporate team. Thank you for you. You. That's right. You listen to this right now, driving your car or on the subway or, you know, what I'm saying working out or just listening late at night while you, you know, what I'm saying doing some work or something. Thank you for being a part of our living corporate community. I appreciate you. Make sure if you haven't already that you create a login on living-corporate.com where you can actually get all this content pushed to you based on the types of things that you want to engage and listen to. Till next time, this has been Zach. I'll catch you soon. Peace. Living Corporate is a podcast by Living Corporate LLC. Our logo was designed by David Dawkins. Our theme music was produced by Ken Brown. 
Additional music production by Antoine Franklin for Musical Elevation. Post-production is handled by Jeremy Jackson. Got a topic suggestion? Email us at livingcorporatepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us online on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and living-corporate.com. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned.